0: Today, most musicians use 440 Hz as the reference pitch for orchestras and their instruments, but they used to use all sorts of different ones, especially 432 Hz. Wow, that's interesting, I guess. But even something as seemingly innocuous as international music pitch standards can be fair game for the sphere. Why the switch? Well, it has to do with temperature fluctuations and instruments changing pitch as they warm up. Or maybe the change to 440 was part of an evil design to separate humans from the natural healing frequencies of the universe to make us at once more aggressive, but also easier to control. And the whole thing might even have been conceived and begun by none other than Josef Goebbels, Reichsminister of Propaganda for the Nazis, a proponent of total war, and the heir apparent to take over once Hitler died one day. Now, I don't really know very much or anything really about music and sound engineering and the like, but fortunately, my guest today does. He is Andrew Curry, owner and lead sound engineer of Mechanizer Studios in Norristown, Pennsylvania, just a little bit outside of Philadelphia. And he is a music guy and a sound guy, and he knows all about this stuff. Thanks for joining me today, Mr. Curry. It's great to be on the podcast. Been a long-time fan. Oh, marvelous. I'd like to thank Mr. Curry for talking to me today and, of course, everybody out there for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Don't forget, of course, you can subscribe, he says again, to the podcast, and if you like what we do, you can donate via our Buy Me A Coffee page. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Conspiracy Clearinghouse, the podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. So Andrew when we first started uh, talking before we started recording uh, you said a, a good way to start this off is kind of with that the most basic you know 10 year old philosophical question that we all when we first encountered it in the schoolyard we we pondered and pondered and pondered which is if a tree falls in a forest does it make a sound and you say there is a definitive answer for this
1: yes if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, it absolutely makes a sound purely because sound is not dependent on human perception. One way you can think about it is that it's nothing but waves of pressure moving through the air. Similar to when you see ripples on the surface of a pond, it's the exact same thing when it comes to air molecules. In fact, the wave that's created is just patterns in the density of the air molecules. And you know, even if people aren't around to hear it, a deer, a squirrel... Nothing needs to be around to hear it for air molecules to move. I mean, I think we all know by now that we, we don't actually, well, maybe we don't all know,
0: but we don't really interact with the world per se. We interact with a model of the world that our brain is creating and they did some studies. And so we have this idea that our, our ears are just microphones. They're just recording devices and whatever sound is being made, our ears pick it up and it gets stored into our memories but in fact they found that when you're listening to something there are more signals going from the brain to the ear than from the ear to the brain because the brain is trying to figure out it's trying to categorize it what is that what is that sound what is that sound
1: that's um it's really interesting i think that where we currently are in the state of neuroscience and psychology while we have a preliminary understanding, and there's a lot of research moving things forward, I think it's safe to say that you know you need more than a hundred years of something to really begin understanding it. I mean, we, we didn't even understand the application of a lot of Newton's equations until we really started hitting the 18th, 19th century and the industrial Revolution took place where those things became pretty useful to us.
0: yeah. That's true, and of course, I think I think because the scientific space is so opaque to so many people, uh, and these days especially, we see a lot of people trying to exploit that uh, that grayness for their own purposes, so they can get whatever clicks, views, uh, votes, whatever whatever their particular kink is. Uh, and a lot of these guys and gals are really just they're selling their Products, they're selling their ideas, they're selling their books and so on through the internet. And they push these pseudoscientific notions that, especially when they're already an obscure topic or a topic that not a lot of people know about it's very easy to make people go oh yeah so you throw in a couple of things you go oh you know some new age stuff natural resonances and then you throw in some scary stuff like ooh evil overlords and then you go oh you know it was invented by the nazis and that and now you've hooked a certain percentage of the population is going to go oh, okay i'll buy your you know colloidal silver <laughs> or whatever it is uh, and this this 440 hertz thing is one of
1: those yes so there have been times where in recording sessions we've actually had to work with it we've done sessions over here uh where essentially people bring us a pre-recorded beat and you know they sing they rap they do their thing over top of it but when it comes to lo-fi producers something that happens more frequently than i really ever expected which is that they'll down tune the entirety of the beat itself to something else we had one track that we had to record i forget exactly what the name of the song was but it was down tuned to something like 312 and this is a problem for rap hip-hop and pop because everything has to be auto-tuned right and there are certain limitations within um the auto tune plugins that are available for how you can detune things right so you know they want it to be in perfect pitch but if it's not in perfect pitch with the beat nothing sounds correct right but One thing that I did notice is that there was a higher percentage of pre recorded music pieces that were actually down tuned specifically to 432 hertz. Now, I thought that was interesting and it it was hard to catch at first. You know, you you essentially drag and drop the piece of music into your uh, digital audio workstation, your DAW, like Logic Pro Tools, whatever you prefer. And at first you just start tracking and then you're like, wait, some. Something doesn't sound right, you know, because a lot of these guys like to track with autotune so they can hear it in their ears, you know. And then you're like, yeah, something just ain't right about this. So I got to take the beat out, pull it into all my analyzer tools. And I'm like, it's another one of these things. It's another one down tuned to 432. Okay.
0: So what does this even mean, though? So we're, we're tuning middle A to 432 or 440 so that means uh middle b is a little higher i guess c is higher d is higher uh
1: and so on so what all frequencies and how they interact with each other how we hear them it's really just mathematical relationships right and some of those mathematical relationships produce like real world physical results one of the most obvious like physical results of different tunings that you can think of is how phase cancellation affects a signal. So imagine for a moment a perfectly round, smooth sine wave. Now imagine inverting that sine wave and just beneath it. So if you have two waves of air pressure, right, that are at opposite amplitudes, the result is silence because if you have one plus negative one, you get zero that's something that especially like uh, when you're first getting started in audio engineering, you know, you're using something like a FL Studio, GarageBand or Audacity, right? Sometimes you'll be like, man, why aren't the guitars getting louder? And you just start cranking it up and cranking it up. But what a lot of people starting out don't think to look for right out of the gate is to zoom into the waveform of two overlapping channels and see if there are opposing waveforms right because if you see something going up and something going down and that pattern stays consistent you're going to get a whole lot of things sounding much more quiet than they should be right and sometimes you'll mute one channel and the thing blasts out and you're like oh my god how does that happening my software is broken
0: <laughs> but it's just i mean in, in many ways it's just uh, it's just it's just physics
1: yeah all this stuff is just physics and it, it's really interesting how people can take things that are actually really interesting to study and learn more about And the more that you learn about, the more you can interact with, you can find paths for a career, you can find things that fascinate you, interest you, or just have fun things to talk about or annoy people with at parties, (laughs) you know?
0: Those of us not in the music industry, I don't, you know, we just kind of think, what? You stick up some microphones, you have recording equipment, you play your music, the sound goes through the air. It goes into the cables, it gets converted into some kind of electronic signal, I guess, and then somehow magically gets captured on the computer or the uh, reel-to-reel or whatever, and that's, that's what it is. What's the thing? But actually, it's, a, it's quite a bit more complicated than that, and that's why high-level sound engineers are sought after. You know, The old uh, concert-goer's trick is sit near the board because that's who they're mixing for. And that means, yeah, if you're if you're way up in the stadium, you're not just getting worse sight lines and things are further away, but the sound is actually different.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's hundred percent true. Like so many things go into this, whether or not it's the distance the microphone is away from a sound source, the type of microphone that you're using. It, it it even gets down to um like the regularities in the frequency of electricity being supplied to the microphones, the console, the computer. And that's why companies will sell things called power conditioners. It regulates the steadiness of the frequency of the electricity feeding your gear to avoid any potential like microscopic bumps in the waveform and a couple of other effects that I could drone on about forever but
0: right it's an art and it's uh it's a technical skill all at once yeah 100% and that's not to say that music can't also just be you know a guy I'm thinking of Bob Dylan, a guy who's a really excellent songwriter who can't sing to save his life, who just goes up on stage, uses whatever mic happens to be available and goes out there and does his thing. That's also music. Music is this huge you know playground with which has a, a vast amount of
1: um, variety yeah and you know every, everybody's chasing that like that better feeling that better sound and um when, when you said bob dylan it made me think of this thing that i i only remember reading in one particular article i never verified it through a second source so i'm not sure exactly how true this is but this this feels right it sounds right so neil young um has a private island somewhere with a little lake in the center of the island right And he set up this, I don't even know what to call it, apparatus of sorts, where essentially what he did is he set up uh, speakers on like opposing mountaintops of this really tiny island. And he put like this long standing microphone um, on a boat in the center of the lake. And what he was doing was trying to record the natural reverb effects of sound bouncing between like volcanic mountain peaks just because he can. That's the kind of level of audio engineering everybody hopes to get to someday. Like, you know what, instead of buying a new plugin, buying this new unit, I'm going to use mountains for my reverb. That's what I want, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's
0: the kind of thing people are sitting around, you know, after a session going like, dude, someday I'm gonna use mountains,
1: man. Yeah, and you know, a focus and obsession can be something that you can really utilize to push your life forward, or it's something you can use to really, you know, spiral into chaos.
0: Right now, the international standard is tune middle A to 440 hertz. That's the new thing. And that started what? It's, I see a lot of people say, oh, it started back in the 1910s, the 1930s. But I thought
1: it was like the 1950s. So the shifts of when the change actually occurred happened at different places at different times. For instance, um, when it comes to a lot of the articles you might read, the blogs you might read around this, a lot of people reference the year that it changed as 1953. Now, what they're referencing there is um, the International uh, Organization of Standardization, the ISO, uh, they're referring to ISO 16, right? Which, funny enough, actually came out in 1955, not 1953. But the International Standards Organization, ISO 16, what they put out in 1955 was a recommendation to have the international standard switched to 440 hertz, right? That didn't come full circle and become an official standard, according to that organization, until 1975.
0: So it took a long time for people to adapt. And before this this point in time, it was a little bit haphazard. People were doing whatever
1: the heck they wanted, basically. Right. Right, the musical industries chamber of commerce switched to 440 in 1925. The American mm-hmm. Standards Association switched to 440 in 1936. However, um, that same year, it was also taken on by the American Federation of Musicians. Like the original purpose of the switch to 432 in the first place, uh, came down to the heat of concert performance halls when it came to orchestral music. Right, so. Uh, one of the main advocates for why we needed to change the tuning um, came from a man whose name is uh, JC Deegan, right? And he noticed that there was a difference in how steadily instruments could remain in tune, whether or not you were performing in an outside hall versus an inside concert hall, right? You know, I can't imagine uh, in the earliest parts of the 1900s that there was much air conditioning. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Maybe big blocks of ice. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And uh, he noticed that when uh, performers were playing their instruments in a concert hall, where the concert hall began its performance at uh, 72 degrees Fahrenheit, that by the end of the first song everything that was tuned to 434 or 432, if you were in France, actually rose to the pitch of 440 by the time the second movement began, right? So the idea was to change it. So that way, the fixed tuning of things like wind instruments, mallet instruments were carefully crafted to resonate at 440 hertz. So by the end of the first piece, the string instruments and a couple of other instruments would warm up and actually rise to the 440 pitch. So that way, as the movement continued all of the instruments would remain in tune because you know if you've ever seen like an open mic night and you you see the guy up there in between sets like trying to tune his guitar now imagine that happening with 70 people (laughs) To explain what this means, essentially, when you put a snark tuner or a pedal tuner or a computer tuner on to tune your instruments, guitar, bass, whatever it may be, essentially 440 hertz represents middle A, right? So if you were to put a band together, right, you know, you were to get your buddies from around the town and say, hey, you know, come meet me in my garage after high school and we're going to do a 432 hertz band, right? What what it would mean is that essentially you would set the uh, the calibration for your tuners to have middle A be four hundred and thirty two hertz. Then you would just tune your guitars, your bass, and whatever else needs like active tuning on it to four hundred and thirty two hertz. Then what you would do is you would just record things with the instruments tuned to that calibrated frequency, right? It's really just down pitching it where the premise is to tune the instruments prior to recording.
0: I mean, so let's say, so we have that garage band and we tune it to 432 and then we play. It's not a concert hall. It's not a protracted session. We're taking breaks. We're stopping here. We're doing that. And so we're not playing in that way. So I assume that like, for example, the bass strings don't relax and change back up to 440 or they do.
1: Well, it depends. Like no matter what, if there's a lot of people playing in a space that can change its temperature, which is any space, right? Small practice room, small recording, live room, something like that, right? Things are just going to change in their pitch. So it, it doesn't matter what the starting pitch is. At a certain point, you're going to need to retune. Right, sure.
0: So it wasn't arbitrary. There was logic behind it. Uh, And, you know, hey, if somebody wants to, you know, do a whole concert or especially not orchestral concerts or even chamber music, but, you know, uh, a rock band or something like that. Somebody
1: wants to, you know, tune their instruments to a different uh, frequency. You know, so be it. Uh, Some of the sessions that we've done where people are recording in 432 if we try to do a shift back to music that sounds you know that is tuned to 440 hertz it just sounds strange but that's because for the past several hours we've become accustomed to tuning in to the perceptual foundation of something with a different fundamental.
0: Uh, I know that there have been some, uh, let's call them experiments, where someone will play something at 440 and then the same thing tunes to 432 or 435, and the second version sounds flatter than the 440 one. For example, let's listen to a section from the intro to the podcast in 440, followed by it in 432. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. (coughs) We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy
2: Clearinghouse.
0: Now, there's an idea that if we reverse that, if we hear 432 first and then 440, we have a completely different listening experience. So now, let's listen again with 432 first, followed by 440. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse.
2: Conspiracy <laughs>
0: We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. It sounds a little janglier, a little more aggressive, a little bit different, simply because the brain, like I said, the brain is actually sending more signals to the ear than it's receiving from the ear. So it's trying to match it with its last model. And it's like, well, this doesn't match up. And it's a lot of it's actually about how humans perceive things when it comes to the auditory realm.
1: Acclimating to a certain subset of experience is very, very important. And it's something that like I never remember actually learning about in schools in any kind of educational situation right and understanding that sometimes you know your brain's got to warm up to certain experiences it it can just be a very useful piece of knowledge to have sitting in the back of your head because sometimes you'll be like so taken aback by something right it'll just seem like very strange you're like hey i don't know about this you know but it's like It's like, you know, dipping your toes in the pool. Like once you start getting in there and you start swimming around, everything's fine. The same thing works for, you know, your eyes when the sun starts coming up in the morning. The same thing works for your ears when you're listening to different fundamental tunings. And um, I feel like people don't always make that connection and it leads to some very strange assumptions.
0: I'm gonna just throw out a quick bullet list of a couple of the woo conspiracy theories that crank websites have come up with to explain this. And it's not, oh, it's not because of the way that the human you know organism perceives things. It's because, so the first one is, because 440 Hertz disagrees with the natural vibratory nature of the universe. The universe actually vibrates at 432 Hertz. Okay, whatever. Next one, 440 actually sounds aggressive because it creates aggression in humans. It creates stress, it creates uh, antisocial behavior, it creates aggression. And as such, it was used by the Nazis to brainwash people way back in the 30s and during World War II. They had actually perfected the use of A at 440 hertz uh, tuning to Almost control people and cause them to kind of freak out and have a red hour. And then there are other theories that say th- these other standards 432 because it's uh, the natural frequency of the universe. There are other ones as well that say well this one aligns with uh, our DNA as if DNA and sound somehow connect uh, or with time or with gravity or this thing called the um, solfeggio frequencies. And you get this, this whole sort of sub 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 realm of pseudoscientific sound nonsense
1: it's it's a similar situation especially when you don't have a lot of knowledge about audio waveform physics and all this other stuff to essentially say oh my god why does this sound so different that that just hit my brain wrong If if you've been listening to 432 for a while and then you hear 440 right the world today is a very chaotic information heavy place And like 70% of the information out there evokes fear, stress, concern. So if you feel that jolt of stress when all of a sudden you listen to normal music again, right, and you look around and you see a bunch of chaos in the world, it's not too big of a leap to say... Hey, is this that thing that I keep hearing people talk about? Like that was so stressful. No wonder people are stressed out all the time. It's it's
0: not that I just don't know, don't seem to be making any more money, or that my you know my children are weird and I don't understand them, or uh, or what have you. It's the music. That must be it. Yeah. It's the music.
1: Yeah. Right. But like if if somebody were to, you know, not put all their eggs into these very strange baskets and just acclimate again to 440, it wouldn't sound as stressful. And then maybe if they went back to 432, it's easier to switch down purely because like it is a little bit more flat. Right. So it's not as engaging at first right so so it's a little bit more gentle of like an experience so it's a little bit easier to go back to 432 and a little bit harder to go from 432 to 440 right so that's where you can say well of course now i know for sure so a lot of it comes down to people just having patience and realizing that you know it's okay to reacclimate to different experiences and just because things were changed because of temperature does not mean that people are trying to conspire and you know enact the war on consciousness or whatever it is right exactly
0: yeah they did they did a study uh some time ago i actually talked about this on this other podcast that i do for uh uh, business communications called digital signage done right but we uh In there, I mentioned a study that was done where they said, you know, what are the most pleasant sounds for most people in different cultures and the most unpleasant sounds. And like a baby laughing, for example, is considered one of the most pleasant sounds. A baby crying is one of the most unpleasant sounds. Rain is a pleasant sound. Fire crackling is a a pleasant sound. So there are certain semi-universal truths to a certain extent to that.
1: Right. A hundred percent. And you know, this is what's really interesting. Like if people want to understand how sound actually interacts with our conscious experience, there are ways to do that. However, the the next one that I wanted to break down a little bit um, is when it comes to uh, how it was used by the Nazis. And this this is one of my favorite ones, right, that essentially from all that I was able to gather in doing my research on this, the theory goes that Joseph Goebbels, who was like the minister of propaganda for the Nazi party uh, during the war, um, that he was attempting to get France and England to switch their standard tuning in orchestral music to 440. I don't know how people think he was attempting to do this. The idea is that he was trying to do this in order to enact the war on consciousness against France and England to destabilize their society to make them, you know, easier to fight on the battlefield, to make it easier, you know, to set up their blockades because the men on their navy ships would be more confused having, you know, the frequencies of 440 in their minds and their hearts. See, but I thought 440 made you more
0: aggressive. I mean, you wouldn't want your military enemy to suddenly become more aggressive, would you?
1: No, you would not, which is the other... A hilarious piece of this. That being said, the theory goes on to say, right, that when it comes to you know this secret meeting of world leaders in 1953, which was actually the ISO, but it wasn't 1953; it was 1955, and the ISO doesn't have any control over what governments actually really do, as far as I can tell.
0: Plus, goebbels is way long out of the picture by then.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the theory goes on to say that after this was you know enacted by a secret group of world leaders. That the people who began the music industry, which of course in many conspiracy-minded circles are the Jews, then took this to further the initiatives of Joseph Goebbels to further the war on consciousness. Now, first of all, I do not understand why... Any person of Jewish descent would want to further the, you know, ideas of the Nazis.
0: You know, there's a there are a lot of white supremacists who try to make they're sort of apologists for this. So, like my understanding is one of the ideas was, oh, this 440 thing making people more aggressive, but also slightly more. Um, I don't want to say docile because that's not the right word. They're more aggressive and they're more suggestible, because they're trying to come up with a reason for why. So many Germans followed the Nazis, and it's not the centuries of anti-Semitism and the staggering inflation and uh, economic crisis that they were in after World War One. It's this, you know, it's these these sound frequencies, and then there are a lot of white supremacists out there who just uh, are convinced that the Nazi atrocities were actually a Jewish plot. I know, don't even get me started.
1: I, I When I hear that, I just you know these like we we got to be honest about these things like like some of the theories that these people put out there today are really just to kind of slowly but steadily pull people into the ideology It's interesting that people who just want to find out more about the world, you know, find a little bit of mystery, can come across some of these things that, you know, come out of these organizations and say, oh, this might be cool to study. Right. But that's the thing about the Internet today. When people don't have a lot of time, it's easy to gravitate to things that seem interesting. Right. Although the Nazis were not trying to use 440 hertz as an orchestral weapon to affect their societies.
0: Uh, You get people who, uh, for some reason, everybody likes to trace stuff back to the Nazis. I think sometimes it might be used by Nazi apologists and white supremacists. Uh, But a lot of the 440 Hertz is evil stuff, uh, a lot of it comes out of the New Agers. And New Agers often have these, quote-unquote, alternative medical practices, which we might call quackery. Uh, And then you have uh, a number of people who are pushing this, and they often put their own kind of spin on it because, you know, they need to differentiate their brand from the other crystal huggers. One of them is a guy named Leonard Horowitz. He's a former dentist, and now he claims to be a uh, sound healer. He actually pushes not 432, but 528 hertz as what he calls the universal love constant that is linked To the heart of everything. And a lot of these folks, because like you said, it's kind of mathematical, they use mathematical things. So here's Horowitz's argument for 528 hertz being the frequency of the heart of the universe or God or whatever. Is that first off, if you add 5 plus 2 plus 8, you get 15. And then you add the 1 and the 5 of that and you get 6. And 6 is a sacred number. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Also, a mile is 5280 feet. Uh, furthermore, 528 terahertz in the visual spectrum is green or perceived of by the human percept systems often as green, and green is the color of grass. Also, <laughs> it gets better. In the movie Inception by Christopher Nolan, which is all about, you know, things getting changed and so on. It all revolves around room 528. Coincidence? I think not. And then he gets into a whole thing about pie and the golden ratio and blah, 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 blah. He literally sells what he calls a 528 musical medicine, which he said is the first manufactured holy water resonating at the most natural and powerful healing frequency. It is, in fact, just colloidal silver or silver suspended in
1: water. That's fascinating. I mean, like water will resonate at any frequency you put through it in fact water um is a more accurate medium for sound than air is purely because it can contain its wave shape for much greater distances than it can in the air
2: yeah
0: that's true sound travels a lot further underwater
1: right yeah so there's no resonant frequency of water per se except for whatever frequency you're using to resonate the water at that's Fascinating. Now, I also want to throw this at you. He's also a proponent of something
0: called the solfregio uh, frequencies, which actually is the brainchild of this mid-70s guy, Dr. Joseph Puglio. And he basically did – he went to the Bible – And he uh, converted a bunch of stuff into numbers because it's it's something you can do uh, when it's in in Hebrew. And uh, he uh, figured out these sort of uh, biblical codes about ancient and sacred frequencies that he said that way back when these biblical passages, uh, verses from Psalms and so on, were sung at certain frequencies in order to basically create, I guess we're gonna have to call it magic. If we sang things at this frequency, this happened. If we sang at that frequency, that happened. He came up with a whole listing of what different frequencies will achieve. So, for example, 396 hertz liberates human beings of guilt and fear. 417 hertz facilitates change and undoes situations that you may find yourself in that you would like to get out of 528 is the miracle frequency and it actually repairs your dna so if you for example have cancer, if you bombard yourself with this frequency, 528, the God frequency, then uh, you will repair your DNA. At 639 hertz, you can uh, form bonds with other human beings and relationships and find love. You can find solutions to uh, all of your problems at 741 hertz, and at 852 hertz, you return back to the spiritual order that is the natural state of the universe in which we humans through evil mechanisms such as the middle A tuned to 440 hertz standard have separated us.
1: Now how's that? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. So we don't really understand how different frequencies affect the human body in its entirety yet. And I feel like one of the reasons for that is that you got guys like this doing crazy stuff and Kind of turning people off from the possibility of even studying it. Like for all that we know, sending certain frequencies through different parts of the body, through muscular systems, it could potentially lead to things like, you know, helping with hypertension, helping with, you know, um, inflammation, things like that. We have no idea. And the reason why we have no idea is because people are turned off from pursuing real world studies of these things because of crazy crap like this i mean for you know for christ's sake nobody would have assumed that we would have found the miracle drug of penicillin by looking in funguses that grow in the dirt. We can't know these things until we run experiments on them, right? But running experiments on them is running experiments on them and trying to decode numerical sequences in the Bible. They're kind of two different things here, right? And honestly, people towing these lines are really doing a people a great disservice because if they weren't doing all this BS, we might actually be so inclined to conduct studies to test whether or not it could actually help people. For all we know, this could be the solution to you know a rare medical condition that a lot of people are suffering from.
0: The funny thing is, is that very often with this stuff, you get this, just like with this colloidal silver, all these quacks sell silver suspended in uh, water, sometimes with maybe a little something else in it to make it sort of float and look sparkly and pretty. But it's just silver. And if drinking silver or ingesting silver cured all the things that they claim that it cured, we would be using it, wouldn't we?
1: Yeah, we would. But, you know, putting heavy metals into the human body, especially into the bodies of sick people desperately searching for anything that will work kind of sounds like a crime to me to be honest. And so like uh, Horowitz says
0: 528 hertz is this, you know, magical frequency and it will repair your DNA and I'm like, so is that middle A at 528 like what is how would I even go about bombarding myself with 528 hertz sound waves?
1: Is there even such a thing? So one of the ways that you could do something like that is you know just like we have contact microphones there are also like contact amplifiers right um one of the main applications of using um i'm gonna screw up the terminology here because i haven't run one of these experiments myself but let's call it contact amplifiers right there are speaker systems or output devices that you can hook up to plates hard surfaces right Uh, as for the purpose of studying uh cymatics so sematics is fascinating. Anybody who's listening to this right now, you get a chance, go check it out. Essentially what the concept is and what begins to happen is when you put a medium onto a hard surface, right? Let's say it's sand, let's say it's dust, let's say it's a little bit of chalk, and you vibrate a plate at different frequencies, you begin to see the appearance of like, Oh, patterns. Yeah. Yeah. You begin to see geometric shapes within the sand, the chalk, the dust, whatever it is. Right. And so if you wanted to put things through your body, I guess you would find somebody who makes YouTube videos about cymatic experiments. You would say, Hey, can I get all your contact amplifiers or whatever the hell they're called? And can you put them all over my body and just pump something through it? Let's see what happens here. Right. Yeah. But you're not, made of sand
0: <laughs> you know what i mean like i would say it would be better to do that experiment with i don't know some ground hamburger <laughs> because that would be closer to what you're dealing with i don't think ground hamburger is going to end up making this pretty nice geometric mandala
1: maybe you know at the end of the day if somebody who is feeling pain or is having difficulties with you know mental illness or just or is way too stressed out in their life right at the end of the day, whatever they do that actually helps them, regardless of whether or not there's any medical science or provable thing behind it, if it helps somebody, it helps somebody. Oh, well, right?
0: Provided it doesn't also, like you said, poison them at the same time.
1: Yeah, provided it doesn't poison them. Of course, right? The, the only danger is that when people say, this is fact, this is the only way to do it. Everybody else is lying to you. Everybody else is trying to convince you to live this horribly polluted life, right? And then- When people tow these lines, it can lead people who are having difficulties in their life down the wrong paths towards all of this other crazy crap, right? And so if it helps somebody tell your friends about it, say, Hey, give it a shot. But you don't need to say the world is lying to you. This is perfect. And I know it because I found these numbers in the Bible and, you know, did all these fancy math equations that have nothing to do with the laws of physics. And, you know, this is the truth. This is the concrete truth.
0: I read about it on a poorly written website that looks like it was designed in 1997. Ah, classic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's classic. We call those green ink sites. But I have, speaking of that cymatic stuff, I have seen it. I mean, it is it is kind of cool. And I guess, especially if you don't have an understanding of of how these sorts of things work, uh, I understand how it would be very easy to jump to the conclusion of, hey, look, this makes this kind of a pattern with this particular vibration. Maybe there's something to that. But like I said, it's, it's sand. It's not hamburger and blood and bone and gristle. Uh, but they are cool looking at the very least.
1: One thing to note in the realm of cymatics, right, is that, you know, when things seem inexplicable, organized, and are fun to look at, you know, people start coming up with ideas about it, you know, but sound does have a shape to it. Sound has literal laws of physics that produce certain strange results. But if you take the time to really understand how these phenomena come about, It's really, really interesting and it can lead to a lot of good discussions with people and, you know, knowledge is power.
0: So bottom line, if somebody comes into your studio and they're like, dude, it has to be 432, is it really a big deal?
1: No, in fact, if people come in and they want to record a piece with like an entire band, then I say, okay, we're breaking out the tuners. Let's make this happen. Right. If somebody comes in with a pre-recorded piece of music and it's either already at 432, it just means you got to change the tuners of whatever's on the voice. And if somebody says, Hey, this is a normal piece of music. We just recorded it. Can we down pitch everything to 432? Yeah, go for it, man. Nobody's going to stop you. (laughs) If you enjoy it, that's all that matters. That's what music's about. Do you enjoy it or do not enjoy it? You know? But just remember,
0: it's not going to fix your relationship, heal your DNA, or connect you to the Godhead and the beating heart in the center of the universe. Also, crystals do not keep food fresh. So it's a weird and out there theory. Uh, People who understand musical theory and people who understand acoustical theory and people who are sound engineers uh, certainly understand this stuff better than me. Yes, even the subject of what... Middle A is pitched at, is subject to conspiracy theories. And this has been the case for, well, since the 70s, when all of this kind of new age woo-woo stuff really took off and got sort of supersized and energized. But I will say this, if you're feeling more aggressive these days, you might want to look at your diet or maybe stop paying attention to the news for a few days. One thing is for sure, it is almost certainly not because middle A is pitched to 440 hertz. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest, Andrew Curry, who is the owner and lead sound engineer of Mechanizer Studios in Pennsylvania, for shedding a little bit of light and clarity on a pretty obscure corner of the conspiracy sphere. Uh, thanks for talking to me today, sir. Uh, weird stuff. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. I love the podcast. Thank you very much for talking to me. And thank you, everybody out there, for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearing House. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.